0: The story begins. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So we're on page 27, beginning of chapter 1. <laughs> so what's going on? What's happening in Tanya? We're, what is
1: th- we're figuring out who is an in-betweener, who is a tzaddik, and who is a Russia.
0: Okay, good, good. So throughout the Tanya, we're going to be using three terms, and I think it's important that we are familiar with the three terms, so we deliberately don't have to translate them. There's the tzaddik, often translated as the righteous person. The rasha, translated as the wicked person. The benini, the middle guy, translated as the middle guy, the in-betweener.
2: Is there a difference between wicked and evil? So, 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 so
0: you'll, wicked, well, and evil. wicked and evil, good question. So we're soon going to see wicked is not a good translation for the word rasha. Righteous is not a good translation for Tzaddik, Beinini is a good translation. In betweener is a good translation for Beinini, and we'll soon see why. So let's take a look at the first line of Tanya, the bottom of page twenty-seven, the the bottom bold paragraph. This is the opening statement of the Tanya. We're on the bottom of page twenty-seven. The rabbis taught at the end of chapter three of tractate eight, neither of the Talmud. So the rabbis taught in the Talmud that before. A child is born, his or her soul is made to swear an oath, be a righteous person, Right? be a tzaddik. Again, we'll soon, we'll soon see later why righteous is not a good translation. Do not be a rasha, don't be a wicked person. And even if the whole world tells you you are righteous, you should consider yourself as a wicked person. There we and go. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be light. So there's a lot to talk about just this one line. So first of all, before we're born, so we don't exist yet, our soul is ready to come out into this world, ready to start a mission, ready to start a life, and before God allows it to be born, He sends an angel to your soul and says, wait, 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 this might be why some people have harder labors than others, because the angel doesn't let that soul come out until it makes a promise, I swear. You're not being born, you're not coming out of here until you promise you're going to be righteous, you're not going to be wicked. But you're not going to look at yourself as righteous, you're going to look at yourself as wicked. So first of all, what is the point in that promise? First of all, none of us remember it.
1: (laughs) Well, could it be that if you look at yourself as wicked, you have no place... To go but up, to be, to work towards being righteous. Okay.
0: But, but even just on a technical level, making a promise is irrelevant because I don't remember it. How could right. I be held accountable? Right. I wasn't conscious. Yeah,
1: yeah that's
0: true. So, one answer is, the, the Hebrew word for promise, as we see here, Shavua. Shavua shares a root word, or it has the same letters actually, as the word Saveah. be sustained. When a person makes a decision, he's actually getting a certain um, ability. When God makes us promise, what he's doing is he's actually empowering us to maintain righteous, to be righteous, to not be wicked. And we have this ability if we only tap into it, which is kind of the whole goal of the Tanya. Some of you are familiar with our previous, uh, our, or I think all of us here, our, our the previous JLI course had one theme, a paradigm shift from body to soul. And that's really the essence of this promise. If I can tap, do I remember consciously as a human making that promise? No. But my soul does. And if I can tap into that soul, I can maintain my values, I can maintain my standards, I could be who I'm meant to be, I could fulfill my mission in this world. And God gives us that sustenance, that ability that, um, to, to make that happen. It reminds me of an interesting insight from the Maggid of Mezrich. The Maggit of Mezrich was the teacher of the author of the Tanya. Let's take a look at our text here, on our sheets here. Text 1. It's a verse from Leviticus. So, it says, And the soul that sins and heard the sound of the oath, it's referring to somebody who comes to, who is brought to court to testify. Can
1: we ask them to be quieter? I'm having a really hard time hearing this. I know it's, I know they're here first, but...
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. yeah.
1: Their time,
2: their time,
0: time. their time is over. Yeah. Their time is yeah. over. I'm
1: losing my hearing in one ear and I can really feel the effects of it when there's all this yes. other sort of stuff going on.
0: Yeah, so definitely. And, and next week I'm, I'm going to
2: figure something out to, to plan a little better. No, tell them to get out. They can go sit outside in the hallway out there or if they want to chat. Know,
1: um, Mark is in that room all by herself. If we sit at the far end of it.
0: There's other kids in that room. There's a classroom in there. Oh,
1: there's a classroom, but they're all near the front.
0: We'll we'll have to figure. We'll have to brainstorm. We'll, we'll we're gonna we're gonna figure it out.
1: The ladies are really pretty. Okay,
0: thank uh, you.
2: No <laughs> you think no, so?
1: to finish.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, am well, well, I'm, I'm gonna work oh, on it twice. for next week. Uh,
2: if they want to chat, they can sit on the floor outside, too, the a, hallway.
1: <laughs> I'm serious.
2: Yeah, yeah. That makes sense.
0: That. So let's take a look at uh, text one here. It's a verse from Leviticus. It's referring to somebody who was brought to court to testify. He doesn't want to testify. It's considered to be a, a sin. It says, And a soul that sins and heard the sound of the oath in court, and is a witness and is either seen or known information, if he does not relay his information, if he chooses not to testify, he bears sin. So the mugid of Mezrich explains this verse in a different context, in the context of what we're discussing here in, in Tanya. In the Torah, there's no punctuation. So there's a lot of fluidity as to how we can understand a verse. And this is how he reads it. And he soul, it says, "And a soul that sins with a question mark, rhetorically. He's asking rhetorically, "A soul could sin. How could that be? He heard the sound of the oath. How could a soul possibly sin if he made an oath not to? In other words, if we only tapped into that deep part of ourselves that recognizes that we have a mission and, that we're, not, and, and we're supposed to maintain our righteous selves, how could we possibly sin? If we really re- tapped into that, if we were able to really master this paradigm shift that Tanya is trying to get us to, the sin would never happen. We wouldn't want to sin. If we had that clarity, we wouldn't want to sin. And that's what this verse is reminding us it says in a soul that sins as if it were a rhetorical question how could that be if he heard the sound of the oath and is a witness he's here to testify God's existence he has a mission how could he possibly do that so that's our, our first line of Tanya again everything in Tanya every single line of Tanya is packed with full of gems Tanya starts off with a question after quoting this line of Tanya, what's the first question in Tanya here? Judy, you mentioned it earlier. Um, when I called you? No, no, no. Uh, a couple of minutes ago. Oh, oh. The question
1: w- is... Um...
0: So the Talmud says, be righteous, don't be wicked, but look at yourself as wicked. Right. Now, that's a, that's a tough balance here. How am I supposed to look at myself? That's really the question in Tanya. But
1: does it really mean wicked? Or does it mean, like, not perfect?
0: Well, okay, so that, that's a good question. What do these terms even mean? So hold on to that. We're going to get there. But the, but the underlying question, the implied question in Tanya, we mentioned last week, Tanya is a book of answers, addressing issues. The, what's so difficult about, about Tanya learning is because it's answers, he doesn't spell out the question. Mm-hmm. He assumes you have a question. He's giving you an answer. But the question's not explicit. The first question in Tanya is how am I supposed to look at myself, how I view myself? has a strong impact. My, my cognitive structuring of myself has a strong impact on my relationship with God, my relationship with people, my overall mental health, my overall spiritual health. It's so important. I'll tell you an incredible insight. The word machshava, thought, and the word bisimcha with joy, the Zohar explains. It says in Kabbalah they have the same letters. Because there's a correlation between the two. Joy, happiness, motivation is, is a mindset. But not just a mindset in how, you know, is this for the best? Is it, but in how we view ourselves. That's what Tanya's telling us here. How we view ourselves is so important. If I view myself, and there's a little bit of a catch-22 here, if I view myself as righteous, if I view myself as all that, I'm not really going to take my actions seriously because I never messed up because I'm just perfect and everything's good. And I'm just not going to take my my, my Judaism seriously, my relationship seriously. On the other hand, if I view myself as wicked, what's going to happen if I'm too hard on myself? Then you
1: won't do anything, right? Because I'm wicked no matter what. I'm wicked
0: no matter what. I'm not going to be able to serve God with joy. right? And this is what he says here. The, the two, three, four, five, five paragraphs down, or the third bold paragraph, page 28. Also, if you consider yourself like a wicked person, you'll become downhearted and depressed. You won't be able to worship God joyfully and positively. The whole point in Tanya is to try to get us to view ourselves properly, understand ourselves properly, so we can have the proper spirit in our service to God. As we discussed last week, what is tanya? It's the relationship side of Judaism. It's the soul of Judaism. And our goal is to have perfect harmony, a relationship with God where we have body and soul, where we're not just physically present, but we're emotionally present. Right, and this is is really important for all relationships, (laughs) interpersonal relationships as well, but especially a relationship with God, a God we can't see. We need to be soulfully present. We have to have that joy. Let's jump to chapter, what question?
1: No, I'm saying something's ringing.
0: Let's jump to chapter, um, by the way, if anybody wants me to speak louder, you let me know. Um, Let's jump to chapter 26. We're gonna take a peek into chapter 26, page 296. Um, As we'll soon discover, the Tanya is one big puzzle. And it's great to fit in all the pieces. Chapter 26, you guys will be familiar with this chapter from our previous JLI course. It was based on this chapter. Much of it was based on this chapter. He starts off with explaining, he makes a paradigm shift here. Joy is not a luxury, joy is a necessity.
2: Where, where are you Page 296.
1: And he says,
0: he starts off with an analogy. He says you have two people wrestling. Who's going to win? Not necessarily the stronger one, or I should say the strength is not the only key to success, physical strength, but emotional strength also. The the winner doesn't go to the person who's just stronger. It goes to the person who's also more motivated to win. So the last bold paragraph, the second to last paragraph on 296, you will only succeed with enthusiasm, but where does enthusiasm come from, where does alacrity come from, motivation come from, which results from joy in a receptive heart, free from any hint of worry and sadness in the world. Which means if I'm viewing myself in a negative light, I'm going to have sadness, I'm going to have a closed heart, I'm going to have negative emotions. What I'm not going to have is motivation.
1: Hmm.
0: Very important, motivation. And, this is, and, and Tanya starts off with this catch-22. How do I view myself properly? Because as we see later on in 26, motivation and joy is not a luxury. It's not a nice thing to have. It's a necessity. Which is why the Tanya came into existence. I was recently I was recently uh, reading a letter of the Rebbe. The Rebbe has his, uh, there's volumes and volumes of the Rebbe's personal responses to people, responding to all different areas and issues in, that people have in life. And all of these personal responses are recorded in 30 something volumes. Um, the, the names are, most of them are anonymous. And you don't know what people are writing back, you just see what the Rebbe is responding. And in this letter I was reading, it was a, some sort of teacher was having a difficult time in his or her classroom, I don't know if, what type of, I don't know what the details were, but the person was having a difficult time in the classroom and felt like they were going nowhere and felt like they weren't really doing a good job teaching and maybe it's time to kind of give this up.
2: And that's based on the Rebbe's response you're making? So the this theory. was, this
0: was his question. The, the Rebbe's
2: response. So you see the question and the answer, or just you the You just question? see the answer. Just the answer. You see the answer. You're making the assumption. I'm making an assumption. I'm, I'm assuming that's the question. That's what I, that's
0: what I was asking. Well, we'll sometimes he'll, 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 sometimes he'll re, um, and restate. restate their question, or okay. in response to your issue, but he won't elaborate okay. on it, okay. in response okay. to the issue that you mentioned. Okay. Good point. He said that what you need in your classroom is joy, because joy brings success. <laughs> we often see happiness as an experience that we want to feel. I want to feel happiness. I want to be in a situation where I'll feel happiness. And the paradigm shift that the Reva gave in that letter, in those couple of lines, was, instead of looking for an experience of joy, joy is not an experience, it's an exercise that leads to experiences, that leads to the experience of success. Joy leads to success. Joy leads to motivation. When Asaph wanted to um, take down his brother Yaakov, right? There was the whole Yaakov stole the brother's firstborn rights. Asaph wanted to kill Yaakov. Yaakov had to run. He ran away to his um, to his brother-in-law's house not his brother-in-law, sorry, his uncle's house, for uh, a number of years. While he was going there, from the Hasidic perspective, it explains that he was there on a mission. He went to the most... He went to the city of Haran. Haran was the city that he lived in, and and from a Kabbalistic and Hasidic perspective, the word Haran also means anger. He went to a place of anger. He went to a place of negativity, why is that any better than his hometown? Because he's there with the intention of bringing positivity there. And he was so excited about his mission, the Torah says, yaakov, et raglav. yaakov jumped up. He was so excited for this mission, he didn't just walk to Haran, he didn't just run to Haran, he jumped there. Why was he jumping? The Midrash tells us. and Rashi brings this. He was excited about his mission. He had joy. Joy leads to motivation. How do we get to that joy? It's all dependent on how we see ourselves, how we view ourselves. Mm -hmm. Joy brings incredible things. Conversely, if a person doesn't have joy, if a person has negative emotions, it can, God forbid, lead to negative things. And that's indicated in this week's Torah portion. So Moses, is kind of raised in an egyptian household and kind of exempt from the whole slavery thing he's walking around and he sees an egyptian taskmaster master whipping another jew moshe says that's not okay he kills him buries him in the sand the next day the torah says moshe sees two jewish guys fighting he says what's going on here what's the fight about he said and they say to him are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? Moshe's first reaction. Vayira Moshe. Moshe feared. He didn't only fear, he articulated his fear. Vayomer, and he said, Achein hadavar. He said, Oh, shoot, the word is out. Then he escapes. He runs to the town of Midian, gets married. That's where he encounters God in the burning bush. Before he escaped, before he ran out, the Torah says, it says, Vayira Moshe, Moshe feared, and he said, oh shoot, the word is out. He articulated his fear. He articulated negative emotion. What happened next? The verse right away says, then Paro found out. Why did Paro found out, find out? Because he articulated the fear. Because he felt fear, it materialized into an actual problem. A problem that was potential was actualized by Moshe. His fear, his dwelling on the fear, to the point that he even articulated it, created a reality. And it's the same thing with, in the positive, if we have joy, and if we have trust, we create a reality. In the words of the Tzemach Tzedek, the Tzemach Tzedek was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, but not the Lubavitch Rabbi, He was actually his great-great-grandfather, he had the same name and the same position. And he had a line he used to always tell people, Tracht gut sein gut. And Yiddish, he said, Tachshov tov v'tiyat Think good, it's going to be good.
2: Schneerson's great, great grandfather was also a Rebbe. Was the, was the Rebbe?
0: Was named Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Oh, and probably. his wife was, and it was a Rebbe, yeah. And his, wife, a Rebbe. and his wife was...
2: Well, they're all Rebbes. And his wife was Chaya Mushka. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they had the same, very similar history. There's a, there's a lot of parallels recycling between their lives. Recycling of names. It's recycling. They were, all the good ones were taken. So... <laughs> So he used to say, Tracht gut wird, sein, gut think good and it will be good. But he wasn't just saying, hey, have positive thinking. He was saying that positive thinking, positivity, <clears throat> joy, trust, all these things are not reactions, are not experiences, but actually exercises to actually lead to positivity. This is why it's so important in our service to God to view our, how we view ourselves. If we view ourselves too harshly, We're never going to get anywhere. If we view ourselves too leniently, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to find the right balance. The right balance... And it's confusing because if we jump back to page 28, it says, you should view yourself like a wicked person. So I'm going to do a a, um, spoiler alert.
1: (laughs) There's a paradox here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. We're not supposed to look at ourselves like a wicked person. Even though it says it. So, if we look in later on in chapter 13 and I'm spoiling it, but we're still going to appreciate it when we get to it in 13 because there's so much background. You're going to get the answer, but you're not going to know how we got there until another 13 weeks or however, however long this takes us. If you look at the words and especially if you look in the Hebrew Kerasha, page 28, the last bold line on the top Kerasha, Rasha like A wicked person. Mm -hmm. Don't Don't see see yourself don't define yourself as wicked. Mm -hmm. See yourself as if you were wicked. You share qualities that a wicked person has.
1: But you're not.
0: But you're not wicked. What are the qualities that a wicked person has? They have a tendency to sin. They have a drive to sin. They have lust. These are all normal things that we have. We have to identify with them. We have to realize them. But that doesn't mean we're wicked in practice doesn't mean we're actually a Russian. We're going to define what Russia means later on, or later on today.
2: So that's going to give us the explanation between wicked and evil?
0: Yes, Okay. yes, exactly, exactly. And this
2: is when, what chapter? <laughs>
0: it's it's going to be a process. You'll see. It's, it, things are. Th- this can, is, you might miss that chapter. No, no, they're we, not. We, this,
1: we put it on our Kindle and we're going to tap into what. This that is loaded. Get, this is a loaded it. book. It's going to slowly unfold. Okay, okay, it's a, a loaded
0: a, puzzle that's slowly going to unfold. But by, tr- by chapter 13, 14, we're going to be <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs>
1: so, how long did it take you to memorize this book? <laughs> I'll
0: tell you, when I, when I learned this book the first time, I was 15. I picked up an English Tanya on my own at 15, and I used to read it, and it was total gibberish to me. Yes. It was total gibberish. I mean, part of it is because I was 15. What, do I, what does a 15-year-old know? Well, part of it is because it's difficult, and it's, it, it, it's, I've, you know, there's a, there's a daily cycle of Tanya. We finish Tanya every year. We learn about a page a day, and we finish it at about a year. And every time I learn it, even when I'm preparing for, when I was preparing for today's class, every time I read, there's, there's something I didn't catch. There's something new. An incredible story I recently heard. Somebody saw the Al-Tzerabha, the author of the Tanya, studying Tanya. He's holding the book, sitting at a table, and he's learning with so much passion, with fervor, he's trying to understand. And somebody says to him, wait a minute, you wrote, it. You wrote, you wrote, it. wrote the book. <laughs> he says, no, 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 you don't understand, there's so much in here. It's a very mysterious story. I don't know what that means, but he says there's so much in this book that has to unfold. Um, and, and there's so many layers, and, and, and the more we learn it, the more clarity we'll so get. how
2: many times have you read this book?
0: I've read it every year since I was 15, 11,
2: 12-ish. In English or Hebrew?
0: Mainly Hebrew. Um,
2: Is this a good translation?
0: I, I think it's great. I think it's great. What what he does here, but there's others. So. There, there's other translations that are also good. Stein, Rabbi Steinzaltz from Israel has a good one. Um, from in what I hear, in, I haven't used English, it in English. Or, or in English. In English. What, what's incredible about this is, you know, I when I prepare for these classes, I use different commentaries on the Tanya. He incorporates these ta- these commentaries seamlessly. You wouldn't even know it. He does a very good job. I I think it's I think it's good. I'm I'm no I'm no authority, but. I like it.
2: You mean, from other readings of his own.
1: Yeah, from knowledge. Well, from, know from from he knowledge. has a big knowledge you know, knowledge which base. T- which tractate and relates to? Which, yeah, he is. But I'm
2: sure that they read other people's interpretations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So if you look yeah. in
0: the, in his introduction, he actually meant he actually. Yeah. I'll find the page for you later. Remind me. He lists a whole bunch of resources of other translations. Yeah, He's very yeah. humble. He says, yeah. "Look, this isn't the only one. There's others out there." I'll show you. I'll I'll find a few in his introduction. Sure. The author's yeah. the, the the translator's introduction.
1: Well. Wouldn't it also be that every time you do read it, every year that you do read it, depending if you're feeling more righteous that particular day or more, you know? Oh, for sure. Especially different, feeling, different different gonna...
0: chapters are going to talk to you differently depending on where you are in life.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we read the Torah uh, every year, right? <clears throat> but when do you start reading the Tanya? So we start the Torah, obviously some thought Torah. Okay. Did you start so t- so the Tanya's is that your own personal?
0: it's a, its own personal it's not a formal reading it's more personal study. Good question. And I
2: would venture to say that as you mature you became a father you view things differently.
0: Definitely. Definitely. As as yeah. we as I progress through
2: life Which is so life, wonderful about this how you can for sure. no, I could I could see it happening. Sure. I became very different when for I had sure. my first son. Do you know yeah.
0: the Tanya it, There's a tradition, they refer to it as the Bible of of Hasidism. And one of the reasons why is because just like when you read the Torah, the greatest of greatest scholars read the simple text of the Torah. The simple, most simple people read the text of the Torah. They understand it totally different, but neither of them have mastered it. (laughs) Because there's always more. So they compare Tanya to that also that the greatest of greatest of scholars can read this, the most simple people can read it, and they're gonna understand it totally different, mm-hmm. uh, comprehensively, emotionally, everything, but there's always more to, d- to uh, dwell and into. And they're all right. And they're all right.
1: Was it expected that, I would say, I'm calling myself like a simple person, would be reading this, or was it only meant to be read by those? Good question. Like, so, advanced?
0: very good question. In, in his introduction, in the author's introduction, he says, it's a book of answers. Anybody who has questions needs answers. And that's who it's meant for. Him. He says, if somebody, though, doesn't have the ability to extract the answers from here, they have to go to their teacher, and they have to get it from their teacher. Everybody has to get the knowledge from the Tanya, the answers from the Tanya. How they get it might be different. But for sure, for sure, it's meant for everybody. Everybody everybody needs it. On our, on our texts here, on our sheets here, I... I there's no need to read through all three of them, but you could check it out later. Just three different sources explaining how joy in serving God is not just a luxury, it's not just a nice thing, but it's actually a requirement. It's a needed thing, and it's important. So just to put it in, in context of, of our... And the truth is I'm going to read the last one because I find for some reason it sits well with me because I feel like it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Today. Today, right now, right? Text four. It's from... It's, from, it's a quote from the Talmud, Tractate Shabbat. It says, The divine presence rests upon an individual neither from an atmosphere of sadness, nor from an atmosphere of laziness, nor from an atmosphere of laughter, nor from an atmosphere of frivolity, nor from an atmosphere of idle conversation, nor from an atmosphere of idle chatter, but rather from an atmosphere imbued with the joy of a mitzvah. When our relationship with God is not just behavioral, but is to the extent that it can be emotional, which is what joy is, my inner and outside self are aligned. That's actually not just, it doesn't just feel good. It's actually a holy thing. That's where the divine presence rests. Divine presence rests in emotional and behavioral coordination, if you will. And and Tanya ultimately is really all about that. But by the way, Tanya, there is so much Hasidic teachings from all the different Hasidic teachers and rebbeim, rabbis. Tanya is kind of like the nucleus, the core, but there's so much elaboration. If you were to fill this bookshelf here, with all of these shelves probably wouldn't be enough. The Rebbe himself has over a hundred volumes, ish, probably close to hundred volumes. You have tons of different teachers, and I saw, and the reason why I point this out because I saw in a letter of the Rebbe, it was a couple of lines. One of these responses. Somebody asked, what is the point in Hasidic philosophy? What is the purpose? Because sometimes it can be deep and you can lose the point. And it can he says the whole purpose in Hasidic philosophy is to empower us to serve God with joy. All of these shells that we're filling is just to get us to, to feel and to understand one point. And really the whole tanya is to get us to understand one point. And he spells it out in the beginning here. How can I serve God with joy? And it's all dependent on how I view myself, and I shouldn't view myself as righteous because I'll be—I'm going to be dishonest. If I view myself as perfect, I'm going to be dishonest. We'll soon see what Tzaddik means. If I view myself as a Rasha, I'm going to be—I might be dishonest, and it might not not going to be good. If I see myself like a Rasha, but I'm a bainadi, which we'll soon see what that means—the middle path—that's the most healthy way to do it. To understand how to view ourselves as a bainini, I need to know what a bainini is. I need to know what a Tatik is, I need to know what a Rasha is. So Tanya over here in this chapter, he defines them very briefly, and then he slowly unpacks it throughout the rest of the chapters. And here's gonna be this is gonna be the structure of Tanya. I, I think understanding the structure will help us not get lost in this sea. In next week's lesson, which is going to be the end of chapter one, he's going to introduce the notion of having two souls, which we elaborated on early, uh, in our previous course. To understand what these two souls are, we have to understand what a soul is. And till, for the next ch- eight chapters, till the end of chapter eight, he unpacks the whole structure of a soul, the whole inner psyche of a person from a spiritual level, from, from a spiritual perspective. What is a soul? As soon as we understand what a soul is, we can understand what a soul conflict is. Now that we understand the soul conflict, we can understand and appreciate what a Tzaddik is, what a Rasha is, what a bainini is, and what the best way to view ourselves is. Does it make sense?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. But he's going to get into it in just briefly here, and he makes a paradigm shift. The classic understanding of a bainini is... Sorry, the, the classic understanding of all of these three terms, based on different sources in Talmud and other places, a tzaddik, a righteous person, is somebody who's mostly good. If you're more good than bad, we're going to call you a tzaddik, right? We tell the little kids, oh, you're a little tzaddik, right? They're mostly good, we call them a tzaddik. If a person is mostly bad,
2: Russia?
0: we'll call him a rasha, and if a person's half and half, we'll call him a benunik. And the Alter Rebbe asserts that this cannot be 100% accurate, even though the Talmud says it. He says the Talmud may have meant it in a certain context. And if you're looking at reward and punishment, you know, you're a tzaddik, you have more good, you'll get rewarded, right? You have more bad, you won't get rewarded, or whatever it is. But in terms of the actual terms, how we're defining the person himself, that can't be the actual definitions. And there's several proofs. One of the proofs he brought here was, that there was the famous sage. He said this on, on, on page 30. There was the famous, there was the famous sage, Rabba. Rabbah was a sage of the Talmud. And in the Talmud, he declares, I am the perfect example of a Benini. I am the perfect example of this middle guy. And his student says to him, wait a minute, if you're calling yourself a Benini and you're this huge sage and righteous person, what does that make us? What's going on here? He calls himself a bainani. He wasn't a sinner. He didn't have mostly good. He had only good. The Talmud compares him to King David. King David wasn't able, you know, the angel of death wasn't able to kill him because he was so pro- preoccupied with only good things. The angel of death can't kill a person doing something good while at the moment they're doing something good. The Talmud says that when the angel of death wanted to kill him, Put something. He put something on the staircase. He tripped. He had to stop studying for that moment. The angel, the angel death, took that opportunity and killed King David. Um, that that and that's why, by the way, that there is a custom. Just a side point. There's something called milava malka, which is a meal that we're supposed to have ending the Shabbat Saturday night. It's not a formal meal with a kiddush as we as we would have on Shabbos, but it's a it's a meal that we would have Saturday night. So so it's. Suda Shlishit would be before Shabbos ends, but then after Shabbos ends, you're supposed to have a fourth meal. In case you're hungry, right? <laughs> it's not as formal of a meal. It doesn't have the same guidelines and, and, and doesn't have the same structure, if you will, that a Shabbos meal would have. It's more casual. But it, there, there's that custom. And the reason why is because King David was supposed to... He knew he was going to die on Shabbos. So on Shabbos, he would just occupy himself with good things. To the point that the angel of death couldn't kill him. Saturday night he would celebrate. <laughs> he made it another week until he was able to die. Anyways, the reason why I mention this is because this sage, Raba of the Talmud, who came years after King David. Maybe almost a thousand years. Uh, that's, that's far. No, may, maybe 700 years after King David. They definitely didn't see each other. <laughs> the, Torah, the, the, the Talmud compares him to King David. He... Didn't stop doing good things. He was only involved in good things. The angel of death couldn't kill him. He referred to himself as a Bainani, which is very mysterious. We're going to resolve that later on in chapter 13. So don't let it keep you up at night.
1: You better not miss that day when you're doing 13. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll be back. Yes.
0: We'll have to go really slow It'll make, give you time to. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Maybe we
1: need to study Talmud too. You know what?
0: Everything's a, everything's a puzzle, so it's all it's all helpful. But, but all the history
1: class is going right now. It's like I've got a major in Jewish studies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the point is though, Abenani, this middle guy can't be somebody who does half good deeds and half bad deeds. He has to be totally good, which means we have to revamp. We have to redo our understanding of what a Benini is, what a Tzaddik is, what a Russia is, and he gives us the new understanding in, in very short here. Page 29. He gives the actual definitions based on a different part of the Talmud. The last bold paragraph at the bottom of page 29. And in the Talmud at the end of chapter 9 of tractate Brachos, it is written... And here is the actual definitions, which our whole book is going to be based on here. And we're going to see later on how this, implement, how this can apply to us very practically. In the case of Tzadikim, the case of a Tzadik, the impulse to good, referred to as the yetzer tov, the good inclination, is their internal judge of what to do, what not to do. In the case of Rishoim, the case of a rasha, the impulse to evil is their internal judge to do what to not do. The bainani's internal judge is both. The impulse to good, the impulse to bad. In other words, the way we're defining Tzadik Benini Rash is not by the behavior, but by the person's internal self. In general, Hasidic thought doesn't look at what somebody does, we look at who they are. Reminds me of a cute story I heard. Before the Lubavitcher Rebbe became officially accepted the, the position as Rebbe, he was a young guy living in Brooklyn, And he was studying in his home, and he had tons of books out doing some sort of research. And there was somebody from a different Hasidic community, and different Hasidic communities have different cultural norms, and not that they all matter necessarily, um, not that these are where Judaism begins and ends, but there's different cultural norms. And in in many Hasidic communities, the cultural norm is not to study Torah without a jacket on. Just like many people wouldn't pray without a jacket on, so they wouldn't study Torah without a jacket on. That's their, their custom. The, the Rebbe was the exact opposite. He would throw off his hat jacket and he needed to be wanted, to, I guess, to be more comfortable. And he's studying, deep engrossed in his studies with tons of books out without his jacket on. And there's a young Hasidic lad from another community dropping something off. I guess he was on some sort of newspaper route. And he sees this guy is not obviously not your typical Joe Schmoe. Could tell by all the books. So And he was surprised that somebody so scholarly and so would be studying without a jacket. It's something that he was not used to. Now to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But in his mind, the community he grew up in, he was just, he was surprised. And he had the chutzpah to say it. And he tells the Rebbe, I'm surprised. You know, in my community where we come from, we don't study. You don't see anybody studying without a jacket on. And the Rebbe's response, in our community, or where I come from, we don't look at the jacket. We look at the person wearing the jacket. Later on in chapter 4, the the term garments Kabbalah refers to behavior as garments and we'll see we'll see we'll see why later in chapter 4. But he's saying don't look at the garments. Look at the person wearing the garments. Don't judge a person by what they do. Judge them or shouldn't judge people, but, but when we're looking at ourselves, it's not just what you do, it's who you are. That's the paradigm shift here. Mm-hmm. A tzaddik, a benini, a rasha, how do I look at myself? It's not, do I do good? Do I do bad? A benini, nobody's supposed to be doing bad. Let's assume nobody's doing bad. So a tzaddik is somebody who's totally good internally, not just doing good. A rasha is not just doing bad, he's doing bad because internally he has that impulse to do bad. A beynini is conflicted. He has the impulse to do bad, he has the impulse to do good, and he makes a choice, you know what, I'm just going to do good. A tzaddik has no impulse control. Doesn't need it. So, perfect illustration for what a tzaddik is. You want to know if you're a tzaddik? Go, Go home tonight and set a timer for 24 hours. For the next 24 hours, do whatever you feel like. Do whatever your impulses tell you. Do whatever your heart tells you. Just follow your heart. Just do whatever you want. No, no just whatever you feel like doing, do it. If at the end of 24 hours all you did was mitzvahs, <laughs> it's likely that you're a tzaddik. <laughs> oh, not this week. Not this week.
1: <laughs> now,
0: the reason why this is important to know, Tanya is not the book of the tzaddik. We said last week the Alter Rebbe wrote a book of the tzaddik. It didn't make it too far. Tanya is the book of the Benini.
2: He said it got destroyed, right?
0: Got destroyed, yes. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the fire. The book of the Bainini, the goal here is not to be a tzaddik. The goal is not to be internally perfect. The goal is not to get to the point where our only internal judge is our good impulse. The goal is to get to a point where although we have conflicting impulses, at least we make the right decision because we have our pulse on the right impulse. No pun intended.
1: Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, we don't well, well, make well, the right decision.
0: We don't, we don't always, but, the, but that's the goal of the Tanya. That's the goal. So that's the shift here. The shift here is if we want to understand what a Tzadik in Russia is, if we want to understand how to view ourselves, we have to understand not what we do, Behav- you know, behavior is another thing, but we have to understand who we are and what we're going to do over the next several weeks is examine the soul structure and learn about the soul structure. It's going to be very relevant. Don't worry. It won't be boring. It's going to be very interesting. And it's going to be very important to understanding what it, I, I, I just dropped the bomb on here, on you guys. It was a crash course what a tzaddik benedicti Russia is, but to totally to truly appreciate it, things are going to slowly unfold, unpack.
2: So what what about the person who does good but really thinks evil?
0: So so wow, no, no, a, so, so that that would be. That would be a um that because would be because a of
2: the, Because of the influence around you, you know.
0: Uh, that would be a bainini. In other words, I'm, a bainini is externally good. He does only good. Internally he's conflicted. <coughs> I don't want to do good. I want to do or sometimes I want to do good, but I also want to do bad.
2: Because like I I, I have consider myself hard nosed with a soft spot. <laughs> no, I, I I'm very adamant about certain things. But I have a good heart, but there are certain things that, you know, it is and it is. That's it.
1: But so, they're not necessarily bad. No,
2: they're not necessarily bad, but um,
1: oh, that's some another some good
2: are. thing. Some are. <laughs> okay. you know, in, in, um, in raising kids, I had, you know, the, say it three times and then watch out. <laughs>
0: you know, good, okay, good and bad is also a term that we're going to have to define. Which we'll, see, we'll get to next week.
2: So, like, corporal punishment isn't necessarily a bad thing. No.
0: Well, what makes anything good or bad?
2: The outcome the of it. Also. The intention. The outcome. the outcome. Well, what makes the outcome bad? Who says it's bad? That, that's <laughs> right. I'm just saying, you know, it's, so it's, well, it's in the eyes of the beholder. Well,
1: uh, well it says, so, don't take the, the, the Lord's name in vain. Okay, so uh, somebody who curses, you know, at a out of, let's say, habit. Does that make them evil?
0: Evil? I wouldn't use the word evil.
1: Or wicked? Or I, I, I
0: don't even like the word wicked. A so so the, the reason why I don't like potty, the word wicked.
1: Somebody with a potty man.
0: I, I, I don't like the word wicked, and the reason is because, just like I don't like the word righteous, it doesn't actually do justice to what a tzaddik benini rasha really is. He says clearly, what is a rasha? Somebody who's internal judge is their impulse. Somebody who acts on their impulse. A Russia means I have an impulse to do something I shouldn't, and I did it. So I'm a Russia. Does that mean I'm bad? No. no. Does that mean I'm wicked? Does no. that mean no. I'm evil? No, it means I'm a Russia. That's why the translations are dangerous.
1: Right. I, I, Never I, rely I, on translations. But, but can you I move have... like, from one spot to the other? Like somebody who is, um, for the most part... Uh, okay, uh,
0: good question. So, so in other words... What if I... It, it, so in other words, the question is how often do I have to act on my impulse to be considered a Russia? Right. That's your question. Yeah. And the answer is... He addresses this in chapter 11. It doesn't really matter how often it is. In other words, I'll, I'll give you an example. I came from New York last night, right? I didn't actually, but let's say I came from New York last night right. on a plane all night, I didn't sleep last night. And I tell you, hey, let's drive to LA, right now. Didn't sleep last night, but I'm good. Let's drive to LA, I'll drive.
1: Okay.
0: And you'll say, um, no. <laughs> I'll say, why not? I haven't gotten in an accident in like five years. <laughs> And you'll be like, you're gonna say that's that's good. (laughs) Good for keep it up. I wouldn't keep
2: it intact, but you're not driving. I'm not
0: getting in the car with you. Look, who cares if I didn't sleep last night? Who cares if I'm gonna be on the road all day? I haven't crashed in five years. At the end of the day, I crossed a line that I didn't repair. The fact that I'm still willing to drive, right? Doesn't matter how long ago it was. If I were to do Teshuva. I'm going to take driving lessons, and I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to figure, th- okay, you'll trust me, no problem. I'm sure you will. You know, you guys are easygoing. <laughs> right. Okay, but the point is, okay, there we go. The, the po- and, I was, and if I had a good night's sleep before, right? But the point is, the reason why I give that illustration, I have an impulse to do something bad. I did it bad. It doesn't matter how often it is. At the end of the day, I'm still a person that acts on those impulses until I've changed my identity, until I've done teshuva, until i become a benini, which means I have these impulses. I'm not getting rid of them, but I've resolved not to act on them.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've had a situation with this box of candy, you know, and the impulse, you know, and it's like, well, don't eat the candy, you know, you're <laughs> on a diet. <laughs> and, but my impulse. You got
2: two people on your oh, that's, that's it is. I me to the
1: sofa because that's all I'm thinking of is, and then I go and I eat the candy. I don't consider myself a, a bad person. Calling you mean,
0: exactly, and so <laughs> so. So I, 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 wanna, I think it's important to spell out, number one, righteous, not the best translation. It's not a damaging translation. Wicked is a damaging translation, not a good translation. And what we're going to do is for the next, however long we're going to take to learn this book, I'm going to try not to use the word wicked. We're just going to stick to the Hebrew terms, the Hebrew terminology, rasha. And between you and me, we all know what we're talking about. I think it will be much safer, much healthier. Because the word evil, the word wicked, might be correct in contexts. You know, we refer to Haman, who wanted to destroy the Jews, as a rasha.
1: Right.
0: There's, everything is contextual, but in the context of Tanya, a rasha means somebody who's not only impulsive but also acts on their impulses, or not only has an impulse but actually yeah, acts on those impulses.
1: So,
0: so yeah. that's my story, and I'm sticking to well, it.